Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Today's show, we have special guest Sean Vanderveer. We will also be talking a little bit of boxing. What in the world <clears throat> has gotten under the skin of Floyd Money Mayweather? We will talk about that today as well, too. So we'll have a loaded show today with special guest Sean Vanderveer, former Hush Community College, former Colorado Buffalo player, former NBA player, and played overseas extensively. So you'll want to get on board and put your seatbelt on because it's going to be a good show on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, your conductor, Anthony Smith, and that show starts next. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train Hang on for the ride. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. It's the train that's building up steam and picking up passengers. And today, I have a very special passenger on board. A young man I went to school with just a few short years ago. We're not that old. He was born, however, June 15, 1968. So I guess that means I'm older than he is, but we're in the AARP club. He's a retired American college and professional basketball player and currently an assistant basketball coach at the University of Wyoming. He also served as a head coach at Emporia State from 2011 to 2018. Born in Chicago, a Bolingbrook, Illinois native, was selected 25th overall in the 1991 NBA draft from, I'm proud to say this, Hutchinson Community College, because that was a special team, and the Colorado Buffalo. And I watched him, and he balled out. I'm not going to say too much more except to say he's six foot eight or six foot nine, no, six foot ten. And at the time, was 240. I don't know how much he is now. But my good friend, we go back just a few years, Sean Vanderbilt. Sean, welcome on board. Um, hey, glad to have, glad to be here. Glad to be here talking to you and just, you know, uh, yeah, I'm not 240 anymore, but uh, still doing well, still doing well. Thanks for having me. As a matter of fact, I did the intro, but I forgot to do one thing. We had to give him the studio audience, all right? (laughs) So, you've been in basketball basically since you were a toddler. I want to go back to that championship team in Hutch because everybody that remembers that team knows that tragedy struck that team, Cornell Bell. That was a big loss. Mm -hmm. There was another guy end up transferring out at semester break. Chad Fast. That name rings a bell. Yeah, I remember Chad. <laughs> so in essence, by the time y'all ended the season, y'all had nine players. Now, if you think about it, in today's game, that would be considered a depth issue. But it was you, Big Mo, guy named Antoine, New York kid. I can't think of his last name. But Lewis, Lewis. Antoine Lewis. But he was like, what, 5'11 and could jump out of the building. You had Billy Butts. Uh, Cody, what's his last name? Was it Walters? 
Yeah. Uh, was Steve on that team or was he on the team previous to that team? Was it Steve Fritz? Yeah, yeah, Steve Fritz. Anyway, and you probably know the rest of them, but it was nine players. And to to understand the gist of this team, I really wanted either Sean or Mo to end up going to Wichita State. I was, I was like, come on, man, come to Wichita State. Uh, I believe his buddy Joe Griffin, your buddy Joe Griffin was there at the time, too. So I'm like, yeah, that just makes sense. Come on, Sean, come to Wichita State. Sean ended up going to Colorado, but, hey, it was all good. But tell me, what was so special about that team, and what was it that brought that team together in the midst of adversity? Well, I mean, you know, um, I think I think Cornell's passing brought us together. Um, you know, he was driving back to school from Wichita, and tragically had a car accident and uh, passed away from that uh, complications of the accident. Um, it, 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 it just jolts your world. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we just, we just kind of came closer together and locked down and kind of had a mission, you know, um, you know, you know, myself, Reggie Morton, William Davis, um, Big Mo, uh, Steve Fritz and Rowdy Meeks, Kevin Howard, you know, we just kind of, you know, we just kind of hunkered down and just came together and, um, you know, you know, appreciated the day a little bit more, appreciated each other a little bit more. So, now, now if there is one person that I could compare you to personality wise, because every time I see you around campus, matter of fact, our first year going to school together, we was in a music class together, but. Sean always had a smile on his face, always had an outgoing personality. Matter of fact, the truth be told, when I seen you and Mo on the court, y'all reminded me of the bookends that Wichita State had in Antoine Carr and Cliff Levingston. And personality-wise, you would fit that of Cliff Levingston because Cliff had the nickname Happy because every time you see him, he was always flashing a smile on the court. He was always smiling. And you were that same person, always outgoing, upbeat, energetic. We even had a radio lab class together, okay? Yeah. But you was just that upbeat, but on the court. It was a totally different ball game. I mean, you you guys, I mean, y'all basically could have went anywhere y'all wanted to go. So, also, in that time, because I know you're looking at today's game, you're still coaching. Back in those days, it was a traditional lineup. You had a point guard, you had a shooting guard, you had a center, you had a power forward, you had a small forward. So do you like today's game compared to when you played, or do you wish there was some sentiment of yesteryear's game sprinkled in with today's game? Because it seemed like the power forward in the center now has to be a stretch player, have to be able to shoot the three. Well, I mean, I mean, you, there there is some traces of of low post play in today's game, but not as much as back when I played and the the the, the eras before and after. But you know what? At the end of the day, this is where the game's at. Um, you you got to adapt. You got to adjust. You got to understand that you know you know uh, ball screen offense is uh, prolific and um, and um, 
guys that can stretch the floor, uh, allow that ball screen actually to, to be operated in space. Um, you know, I think Kansas does probably the best job in college basketball playing with uh, traditional uh, power forward and, and a five. But uh, you, you know, here here at uh, Wyoming, we got a young big man named Graham, Graham Ek that just reminds myself reminds me of myself. And um, you know, he's a guy that has great footwork, soft hands, good feet, good athlete. And yeah, even though the, the style of play that was big in the eighties, nineties, and early two thousands is fading, there's still some traces of it, and there's some guys, the coaches out there that still play um, um, high low basketball, inside outside basketball. But yeah, it's changed. But at the end of the day, you know, this is where we're at. And, you know, you just have to kind of adjust. Absolutely. Once again, talking to Sean Vanderbilt on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Now, I want to talk about loyalty. And you probably know where I'm going with this. After your playing days, pretty much, because we know that uh, Dave Farrar, he was your head coach at Hutch Community College. Yeah. And then he eventually got the job at Wyoming, if I'm correct. He might have had a stop before there. But I remember him going to Wyoming. Steve McClain took over. And I believe McLean brought Hutch another title as well, too. Then next thing you know, Steve McLean ends up on the staff at Wyoming. Then before too long, I look up and they say, Sean is on the staff. Let's talk about that loyalty. How how did all that come to fruition? Well, I mean, it kind of happened like this. Um, Coach McClain was the head coach out here at Wyoming starting in 98, 97. He took over for Larry Shiat. Okay. And then when I first got into coaching, Coach hired me as the uh, GA, graduate assistant. Okay. And and I went from here to Bowling Green to Northern Colorado back to Wyoming. And when Coach Farrar was an assistant at South Alabama. Um, Coach McLean brought him here, and we were all on staff together. And you know that that's that's how that's how it should work at times. You know the loyalty factor. You know, you know hiring people that are your guys, hiring people that you know you, you know, and um, you got a feel for, and. Um, and um, it, 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 you know, you know, we went seventeen and thirteen that year. But uh, you know, working with Coach uh, McLean and Coach Farrar is still a special memory in my mind. And the other system we had on staff, Sylvie, Sylvie Dominguez, is still a good friend of mine in the business right now. Um, crazy part was, was I talked to Coach McLean yesterday, and I talked to Coach Farrar about three days ago. And, and here's the crazy part. I talked to Coach Fogler, Eddie Fogler. Okay. Same day I talked to Coach Farrar. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, former Wichita State coach. So, I, you know, you know, you know, we're family. So you just stay in touch with family. All right. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you this because I remember Coach Farrar. He was very intense on the sidelines. 
there. Sometimes I would say probably up in your face. Looking at his coaching yep. style and looking at today's players, and I would go ahead and say their entitlement that they think they deserve. Would Coach Ferrar's coaching style work with today's athletes? Because now you can just say, I broke my hangnail because of the coach, and next thing you know, the coach is out the door. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, it's funny. You know, I, I talked to other coaches in the business about today's player, and um, you know, you know, you can still you can still coach them hard. You can still uh, coach them tough. You can love them tough, um, but you also have to have the ability to circle back around with these young men and say, "Hey." This is the reason why I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Um, I think Coach Farrell would, would, would adapt today's kids um, because he never made it personal. You know, okay. he never he never called called us out by our names. He never, you know, asked us. You know, you know, did, did he, he challenged us to play hard? No question about it. But to where like some coaches back in the day would, you know, use derogatory comments, you know, sort of like the, you know, the Mike Rice deal at Rutgers. Coach Rod never did that. Coach McClay never did that. You know, that's one thing I think coaches like that could could, could adapt to. It's just, you know, kid, kids aren't wired the way you and I were wired growing up. You know, we, you know, coach said ABC, one, two, three. We say yes, coach. Sometimes in today's players, ABC one two three, and there might be a Y, and yeah, you know that's why you know in recruiting you have to get the right type of kids. You know if you if you want kids that are everyday dudes, meaning hey, it's great to have a kid that could come to a nine a.m. weightlifting session, eleven a.m. workout session on the court, a two thirty practice. That's great, but that's punching the clock. You want a kid that's going to do all that, and then later on that night, getting up 500 threes, or before everything starts at 9 a.m., be there at 7 a.m., working on their post moves. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think Coach would, would be able to adapt. Uh, a lot of other coaches that I've been with and been around, no shot. No shot. Absolutely. So, you coached briefly. Of course, I don't know if you recall seven years briefly. That In today's age, that's a pretty good long time. But you coached at Emporia State. And one of the things I remember is you brought a team once for sure, if not twice, you had a chance to play against Wichita State. What was that experience like, bringing a team into that type of environment? Even though it was an exhibition game, you have a packed arena and getting to meet Greg Marshall. What was that like? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you know, that experience, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have got those games done without uh, also the help of the assistant coaches at the time, like uh, Chris Jazz and Greg Iyer and KT Turner, who was an assistant, you, you know, but, you know, I, I formed a good relationship with Coach Marshall. Um, he gave us opportunity a couple of times to play him. We went and played him. Uh, we competed. Um, we lost, but we competed. But, you know, the thing is, that's why I tell everyone, is those kids, 
that I coached were Division One talents. They were Division One players. It's just that you know, you know, you know the, the, the the right program at the Division One level, the right coach didn't find them at that time. So I was blessed to coach him. I was blessed to coach Terrence Moore from Heights. I was blessed to coach Caleb Wright, Paul Bunch, uh, Michael Swank, uh, T.J. Jordan, uh, Javon Taylor. You know, guys like that. You know, Jay Tremont, Josh Patterson, coaching those guys like that, Brandon Hall. But taking them into environments like like we played Wichita State, we played at Kansas, we played at Kansas State. It's just great, you know, and and it's great for their families, especially the, 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 the local kids where, you know, we get our 50 to 75 tickets or, you know, we, we don't have a ticket left over. We don't have we don't have tickets there, you know. But you know, Coach Marshall was great to our program. He gave us a couple opportunities to play uh, uh, Wichita State. Going down there, the Coke Arena was always awesome. Going down there, especially for my Wichita guys, was especially awesome. So uh, I'm very thankful for that. All right. So you mentioned you played Wichita State, Kansas, and Kansas State. Who had the best? college environment Ooh, uh, yeah i'm putting you on the spot uh, now <laughs> that's tough man uh i i you know i, I the best environment Ooh, i mean i mean i'm be honest it, it's close between it's close between uh the jayhawks and the shockers i'm not gonna lie it's close i don't know i i don't know if i can pick which one's better because you know which state has the Hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna stand and clap until you score, and then when the game's out of reach, the Jayhawks has got that Rajay. Man, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's tough. I mean, I I give I give the slight edge to the Jayhawks, slight, but but on on any given day, I I mean, the 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 black and gold down the Shocker Nation is is awesome. yeah, everybody know how Jay Hall Mason is. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable environment. I'm saying that unbelievable environment for games which are considered exhibition games, but in, in our minds, that they're, they're, they're the big games of the year. I mean, I mean, I, I've had I've had to deal with a lot of issues when we do play uh, Kansas, Kansas State, Wichita State with uh, tickets, family. Who can sit on the bench? It, 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 you know, unbelievable, but but great moments, great great memories. All right, now we're gonna shift gears. We want to talk about your playing career outside yeah. of what we already know. Planet Hutch went to Colorado. Pray was it drafted in the first round, so that says a lot. That means you were on everybody's radar. Yeah, but let's talk about the overseas experience because you played for several teams overseas and I'm not going to yeah. try to butcher these names I'll let you do that yeah. well, well well, it started like this you know uh, got drafted and they, they drafted uh, Gold State drafted three of us in the first round so back then that's when you could give a rookie a one year non-guaranteed deal at $180,000 we were, we were negotiating we were going back and forth with the Warriors and an opportunity came to play in Italy and um you know, in um, uh, Bologna, Italy, with a, with a club called Fortitudo, which is still playing these days in, uh, I want to say, the top league in Italy. 
used that advantage and I was excited about it and um, went over there and played. And it was it was tough. It was a tough uh, rookie year adjustment. Like like I try to tell all kids that come from high school to college, you know, your first year in college is going to be tough. I mean, I don't care what anyone tells you. It's, it's not going to be smooth. Man, your first year playing professional ball is going to be tough. Mine was no different. I had a guy playing next to me, uh, Pete Myers, that looked out for me the best he could. But, you know, I was young, um, and um, at the end of the day, it didn't work out with the club, but I was supposed to rejoin the Warriors for the playoff push, and I got hurt. And uh, and um, I didn't join the playoff roster, and then I went to summer camp with them, and we were still hot, 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 not hobbling, but going back and forth about money, and uh, I got tired of it. You know, I was just like, where today's NBA draft is different. They're slots. If you get drafted in a spot, this is what you're going to get. It's up to your agent to tweak it a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's ABC 1, 2, 3. Not like that when I came out. So, got drafted, didn't have the NBA career I wanted. But after that, 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 that first year in Italy, I went and played in Bilbao, Spain. Um, had a great season. Um, I remember at the end of the season, Thought I was gonna help the club win and get to the, to, to the next top league, and uh, we didn't. Got cracked by uh, Perry Carter and his team in Guadalajara. And then from that point on, I just uh, you know I was dealing with some injuries. Uh, I worked out with the Nuggets and, and came up short. My knee was not 100 percent then. And then at that point in my life, I said, Look, you know, my knee's not gonna last another. 10 years, let me make the best of it. So I focused on just playing overseas. And uh, long story short, the next year I played in Jerome, Spain. I was able to play with a good friend of mine, Reggie Slater, who uh, Slater is, I'm, I'm happy for Slater's family because his son, Rashawn, was the 13th pick in the NFL draft by the LA Chargers. After that, I played in Italy for uh, uh, Reggio Calabria, and that's the same team that uh, Kobe's dad played for because when I got there, they were telling me Kobe Bryant stories. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, this is 1995. So this, like, Kobe's like either a sophomore or junior in high school. And they're telling me Kobe stories when I played in Italy. And then I caught a little break. I, I, I went to Spain and played for a team in Gran Canaria. Mm -hmm. Who's still in the he's still in the top league in Spain and I had two real good years. I played with guys like John Morton. John John played on that Seton Hall team that lost to Michigan in the eighty nine championship game and then John played with the Cavaliers in the Heat. I got to play with him and I got to play with another brother named Alvin Burdett who played at Texas and got drafted by the Bulls, but uh played overseas and then uh, and then another American who had an Irish passport, Brian Clifford. So that was a great two year run. And then uh, the next four years, I played in a Cianters with Madrid, and that was probably the pinnacle. I played in the EuroLeague against guys like Paul Gasol, Ginobili, Pedro Stoyakovic, uh, Sabonis. Um, you know, I played against Sabonis when I was in Toronto, so I played I played against him before he went to Trailblazers. And, and the highlight was we won the Cup of Del Rey's, um, and I had a great four years. Uh, you know, and then came back to the States and took a year off and tried to figure out what I was going to do. 
outside and getting the coaching. All right. One of the things I noticed here, you are a two-time, and this is how we know we're old, two-time first-team All-Big 8, 1990-1991. Tell us some of the competition you went up against during that time. Well, uh, a lot of people get it confused because you and I, we were at Hush together when uh-huh. uh, Danny Manning <laughs> You're right. Who, uh, that same year, we won the title at Hutch. They won the title at Kansas. So that 88 group of seniors that left were all guys that got drafted. Danny Manning, Jeff Grayer, Derek Chivas, you know. So when I got into the big gate, there was a, there was a little bit of flux of talent. But then the next wave of us young guys picked it up, like Doug Smith, Anthony Peter, Rich King, uh, Big Joe Alexander, um, um, I know I'm forgetting someone. Uh, Steve Henson at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Uh, KU had Mark Randall. So in '91, a bunch of us got drafted in the first round. Doug, Rick, Rich, myself, Victor, and and Mark. That's five of us. So we we, we achieved the same thing that the '88 class and the Big A had. But you know. Back then, you know, Colorado, we, 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 were, we were struggling. You know, we, 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 we finished last in the Big Eight my first two years, and not until my senior year, we were able to finish fifth and get out of that, that, that basement. Um, yeah. But, but the, the, the talent back then was incredible because there was no such thing as one and done. Um, really, there, there wasn't even, you know, you know, some juniors were leaving early. Some sophomores like Chris Jackson left early, but you know you got to remember guys like you know in '91, Larry Johnson, Stacy Allen, and Greg Anthony. They played they played all, all all four years of college ball. You know, and '91 was the, the the rise of, of Duke. Grant Hill was a freshman. Layton was coming into his own. Hurley was coming into his own. And then after I left college. The next year, that's when things kind of kicked off with the Fab Five. Yeah. So, with all that being said, and I have five minutes on this first segment, and you're welcome to stay on as long as you want to. You mentioned one and done. And now we have this transfer portal. And, you know, for, for a long time, a lot of people have been saying, well, if a coach can change jobs, and don't have to sit out. Well, players ought to be able to do it. But could it be now that, you know, with the one and dones, and now the fact that now they can basically skip a one and done and go overseas and play and come back, are we seeing a demise to the college basketball season or are we seeing more parity in the college basketball season with all this going on? Well, there's always a little bit of demise certain aspects, but but he, 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 here's what I'll tell you about how I feel about the transfer portal. I felt like this 12 years ago. All right, the kids and, and everyone around the, the, the student-athletes are talking about, well, coaches move, players can move. And I'm like, I'm good with that. And the easiest way to resolve that problem, and this makes too much common sense, is take every excuse underneath the sun, put it in a, put it in a pot. And if there's a coaching change on that roster, 
They want that roster to transfer and play, play freely. Now, what I think the NCAA doesn't understand is, is that, yeah, some of the other sports outside of football and basketball, you know, there, there, there's, there's no real monetary gain or recruiting trying to get kids to switch teams. That's why, you know, until lately, football and basketball were, were some of the only sports you could transfer within conference. So right now, they've also looked at the interconference transfer rules. So, you know, if I was at Colorado back in the day and I, I didn't want to be there anymore, I'd go play at Kansas and not have to sit. So all we're doing is we're, we're encouraging tampering. We're encouraging reaching out and talking to kids and convincing them to leave perfectly fine situations for a dream of something better. Like, yeah, so if, if, if I'm at Colorado and I have a great year and, you know, uh, a Kentucky, Kansas, or Duke comes knocking, why wouldn't I think about it? Why wouldn't I go? So that's why the transfer portal has over 1,500 names. And, and, and you even see Division Two is getting affected, like uh, 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 Dale Barner from Fairmont State. He leaves Fairmont State in West Virginia and goes to Baylor. Ryan Hawkins leaves Northwest uh, Missouri State and goes to Creighton. Uh, Cam Martin leaves Missouri Southern and goes to Kansas. Qua uh, uh, Grant leaves West Texas A&M and goes to Wichita State. State. Right. So, so at the end of the day, with the NCAA giving this last year as a freebie, and these kids got an extra year to play, you know, I don't, I don't mind when a kid has spent his eligibility. You know, so if I was a junior college transfer and I had three years left and I played all three years at Colorado and I wanted to take my fifth year and go somewhere else, fine. Because the game plan was before that, I was going to leave. But, you know, now, you know, that's that's the question that needs to be asked about loyalty. Where's the loyalty when it comes to student-athletes and programs? Absolutely. And, and it goes the same way. Like, there's kids in that portal that, you know, have been told in so many words, hey, you can stay, but we're going to recruit over your head. Where is that loyalty? So, I mean, with that being said, you know, you know, you know, it, it, it's, it, it is what it is. Absolutely. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to slide a break in right here. Now, come back. I'm going to ask you at least one or two more questions and let you get on with your day. But right now, we're going to take a pause because we're coming up against a break right now. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.c-a-k-e-y-b-u-m-s.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support 
So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my next segment, and my guest is liking the ride so much he decided to stay on board. We got Sean Vanderveer, Mr. Everything. Mr. Player, two-time Big 8 player, coach, a guy that's loyal. So now we was talking about the portal before I went to my last, went to my break there. And since you're in the coaching, there was a time you were looking at either top JUCO prospects or top high school prospects. Now with the transfer portal, how does it affect how you recruit and who you recruit? Are high school players still high on the list or JUCO players high on the list? Or is it, let's see who's out there in the transfer portal that will fit into our system? Well, for us here at Wyoming, it's all about system. I mean, we got to get guys that are everyday guys. We got to get guys that uh, don't mind being coached. Um, and, 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 and we get after it. You know, we, we, we coach our guys and, hard and we love our guys hard but but it's the right fit uh you know with the portal wyoming is not a great uh landing destination spot because you know you, you know you, you know you got you got to do battle with san diego state fresno state nevada um you know and at the end of the day you know i think i think we, we, we follow the same traditional routes that we always have. We, we, we try to get high school kids in the fall signing period. Um, we, 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 we try to get uh, some junior college kids. And we just, we just you know, beat the bushes. Now, are we actively working the portal? Yeah. But, um, you know, um, you know, I think the only time we can get kids uh, really from the portal might be after the first semester. We, we don't change our philosophy because of the portal. I mean, it, it all has to be about the right fit. Absolutely. Now, let me ask this question right here because I'm thinking about the coach. Now, Steve McClain is still out there in Wyoming, right? No. Coach McClain is now an assistant coach at Georgia. At uh, Georgia, the, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a couple of head coaches since Coach McClain left Wyoming. It was first Heath Troyer, and then it was Larry Shia. Then it was Alan Edwards, and then it was Jeff Lindner. I I I've had the pleasure of working for uh, all four of those guys. So I worked for Coach McLean, then I worked for Coach Royer. I went to Boise State, and then I went to Emporia State. I came back. I worked two years for Coach Edwards, and then this past year I worked for Coach Linder. So you you, you know you know the, the running joke is. is if you take the Wyoming job, you got to take Big B. It's like that Barker Lounge on the corner that you can't get rid of. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. But uh, but but 
Coach McClain, uh, when he left Wyoming, he went to Colorado as an assistant. He went to Indiana as an assistant. Then he was recently the head coach at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And this past year, he was assistant coach at Georgia with uh, Coach Cree. Okay. So, yeah, so co- coaches at Georgia as, as a, I don't know if he's an associate head coach or assistant head coach with Coach Tom Cream, but uh, but right now the current head coach at Wyoming is Jeff Linder. Okay. So now, and speaking of Wyoming, you said the running joke. Now, we know you from Chicago. Yeah. And you came to Hutch Community College. So you know what cold is like. And if that wasn't enough, you went to Colorado. So you know what cold is like. But I hear that there's no cold like Wyoming. As a matter of fact, I can't quote them verbatim, but when Willie Jeffries was head football coach at Wichita State, he said it was so cold out there, something to the fact that even the devil himself had to get a coat when he was in hell. So describe the cold in Wyoming, because I hear it can just be downright, brutally, bitterly, like North, South Dakota cold. Well, I'll be honest. I mean, I mean that that it gets cold out here, but to me that you know, after spending seven years in Kansas, uh, it, it's all about the cycles of cold. So, I give you a perfect example. About three years ago, we had a rough winter. This past winter, it was it was mild. You know, um, but you can get in Wyoming. That's a little different too. And you know, you get one day of snow in June. And then after that, it's melted away. Or you get one day of snow in July. And after that, mm-hmm. it melted away. It gets cold, but, like, I'll be honest. I took my Emporia State team to Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, my God. When we got, when we got off the plane, it was negative 38. Now, that's cold. You know, Wyoming, it gets cold. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, you know, I've had colder days in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I've had colder days in Kansas. It's just that sometimes their colder days go a little longer depending on the winter cycle. Okay. And the crazy part is, is, is uh, the past the past two winters, it's been mild. And, um, you know, we've had a little summer drought where we had to put on the you know, water regulations. But the one thing Wyoming has different from all those other spots is we got wind. We got some wind out here. We got some serious wind. And, um, but, you know, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, recruit here, something like this. And they're like, oh, my goodness. But the thing I can tell you is, is Wyoming's the same place that Finnis Dembo came back, came here to back in the day and had a great career. Wyoming's the same place where Reggie Slater came to and had a great career. D.L. Ratliff came here and had a great career. Uh, Brandon Ewan from Chicago and Marcus Bailey from Wyoming had a great career. And... Um, Larry Nance Jr. and Justin James, two former Cowboys who are currently in the NBA. Uh, you know, and Larry Nance came from Columbus, Ohio. I mean, mm-hmm. he came from the state of Ohio. So think about all those schools around Ohio that let that dude get over up here. Justin James, who's on the roster with Sacramento Kings, came from Florida. Look at all those schools in the South, and he came here. So you got guys that know when they have a great chance to come to a school like Wyoming and be successful, you got to take it. But, but uh, you know, I've been here for about 10 years on and off, and I love it. And um, I don't know if this is my final stop, but I, 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 I do know that I have a daughter that played here at the University of Wyoming, Aubrey, who had a great run, who finished her senior year as a Mountain West Player of the Year. 
Um, and, and I have, out of my five kids, three of them have graduated from Laramie High. So I got number love for Wyoming. And, and, and the crazy part is I'm married to a woman that loves the cold. So, uh, yeah, I, I believe that may be your final stop. <laughs> Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Me and I'm trying to get down to Phoenix, where it's warm. Right. I mean, but you've been stuck in the cold all your life, so it's almost like you're immune to it anyway. But yeah, Phoenix does sound like a good, nice resort area to go to. Now, you just mentioned your daughter, and she was Mountain West Player of the Year. So, what's the possibility we may be seeing her at the next level, like say the WNBA? Well, well, my daughter's playing career is over, so she came. She came out in in '11, where okay. um, um, it was a little different for her. Um, she, she, you know, I thought for sure she was going to get a crack of a tryout or workout. She didn't. She went and played one year overseas in Grand Canaria, where you know she lived at when she was younger. When I played over there, she mm-hmm. did it for a season, um, and then now she's made the military her profession. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah, definitely yeah. say so thanks to our she, military she, personnel. There. Yeah, she, yeah, she's she's done she's done a tour in uh, Kuwait and uh, Afghanistan and um, yeah, good stuff. But she had a great run, great career. She she blessed me by letting me hold on to her uh, Mountain, Mountain West uh, Player of the Year trophy. And you know, all my kids did some some uh, some athletically. Uh, Aubrey played at, at Wyoming. Amber played at Boise, then transferred to Emporia State. And then I coached my son my final two years as a head coach at Emporia State. You know, you know. And then my two younger ones, uh, they're not into athletics, but uh, going to college, being productive, and blessed. Absolutely, absolutely. Now I'm just gonna say this as a running joke. This is between us now. For you to take your team to Fairbanks for last. Uh, Alaska. That was child abuse. <laughs> well, well, well. Here was the deal. I, I, I also took my team to Vegas, so okay. We we we, we went some we we went somewhere. We, you know, the, the problem was was at Emporia, our girls' team was taking them to Hawaii all the time, and oh. I was trying to get us somewhere different. Like I've been to Hawaii, done that, been there. Like that's cool. But me, I was trying to get us more like into Florida, Vegas, Texas, you know. And the year uh, I, I took them to Alaska, it was like, you know what? I've never been to Alaska. Let's go. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, now, nah, we're good to go. We're good to go. I think, thanks for having me. If you got any other questions, I'm still hey. good to go. Hey, I have no more questions. I just had to get that in there. But once again, I want to thank you for being on my podcast. We will have to do this again because the next time you come on, we're going to talk about the fashion statement. The short shorts y'all wore back in the day. Then the long shorts that came out. And I'm going to go on record and say it like this. The long style, everybody wants to credit Michael Jordan. But I believe it started at Wichita State with either one, Tom Kosich, or two, Joe Griffin. Because number one, Joe was so short. So his shorts couldn't help but hang. And now look, like we're going back to the shorts. But we'll say that for the next one. But keep that in mind. The fashion statement in basketball. Deshaun, I want to thank you for being on my show. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll have to do this once again. Oh, no, I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Once again, Sean Vanderbilt on the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast.
Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to another segment of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, where this train always seems to be building up ahead of steam. I am waiting to hear from somebody else. They may or may not get back in touch with me, but... She is, and her name is Tracy Jones. She's a podcaster, too. Uh, she is the one that is inspiring this story. She sent me a link. I took a look at it. And I am now going to turn my attention to boxing. Because boxing seems to be lacking and starving for attention. And what way to get that attention by making sure Floyd Mayweather is in the fray. But once again, I want to thank my previous guest for being on, Sean Vanderveer. We were friends back in college just a few short years ago, and we managed to stay in touch. So once again, big thanks to Sean Vanderveer. Yes, he's deserving and worthy of all those hand claps and applause. But like I said, we're going to shift our attention towards the boxing world. As you all know, Floyd Mayweather has an exhibition bout coming up. Not a title fight, an exhibition. And I guess it seems like one of the only times that boxing has any attention or has any spotlight is way is when there appears to be a Floyd Mayweather sighting. However, there was an altercation that took place. And I am going to play this for you right now. Let's go, baby. Don't you 
So that was the altercation that took place at a pre-fight event. Jake Paul takes Floyd Mayweather's hat at an event for Brother Logan Paul's fight versus the undefeated ex-champ. And I have to tell you, there are some more people that are actually weighing in on this as well. So let's see what others have to say about this. This should be very entertaining. Who can pull out Violent Kamaru right now, other than, uh, well, Jorge just did. And maybe maybe Colby, I suppose, if, you, if, you, if that he would bring out the Violent Kamaru. Yes, and is there anybody else? Um, right now, I mean, we've got this, we've got this Mickey Mouse Clubhouse kid that's, uh, this Disney kid over there that's, that's fighting, that's kind of picking off, you know, just guys that aren't necessarily fighters and he's starting to think that he's a fighter. And that's just kind of like the the stage that we're in now. You know, it's these, these, these YouTube kids picking fights with professional fighter, actual fighters, because it's a, it's almost like a no lose situation for them. Because they go in there and get beat up, they still make a lot of money, and so that that kid is kind of getting dangerously close to taking me to that violent place. Because I, he has no business, you know, mentioning my name in his mouth, but he's doing that, and now he's putting up pictures of of me and my family to where it's it's starting to slowly shift to that dangerous place to where it could be a problem where whenever wherever I see. Is it like a personal thing because of the, the daughter photo that he posted? Like what what is taking you so close to this this, this actually Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely that personal thing because it's at the end of the day, who is this kid? I I mean, this kid is nobody. I mean he's he's not putting the, the, the dues, he's not paying his dues, he's not putting the blessed sweat and tears. There's guys in, in the in the company, the UFC, there's bandwidths that would beat this kid up. You know, and and so for him to to start to mention that, I, I took it personal. The fact that first, I took it kind of personal the way they they tried to punk Tyron Willie backstage. I, I did take that a little personal, and then now you you fast forward it to where now he's talking to DC a certain way, which DC is one of our guys. Who in MMA does not love Dan, Daniel Cormier? Uh, so to to. To bring it there, that's just a, there's a level of disrespect that these guys don't understand, and that's the first lesson that we're. So that was a whole different perspective there, but from Miami Gardens, Florida, a month before he returns to the ring at age 44 for an exhibition bout, exhibition. Floyd Mayweather wound up in an altercation at the news conference for the fight. The Boxing Hall of Famer will face Logan Paul. Never heard of him. After he's a YouTube sensation. And that's how he's getting his notoriety. In a pay-per-view event on June 6th at Hard Rock Stadium in Florida. On Thursday, he squared off sort of with Paul's brother Jake, who prompted the scuffle when he took Mayweather's cap. Apparently, in sense that Mayweather called both Paul's fake fighters, and offered to take on both on the same night, Jake Paul confronted the former champion. In what appeared to be a staged get-together, Jake Paul grabbed Mayweather's white baseball cap, and security jumped between the two as Mayweather surged toward him. I don't have to talk about what I'm going to do. The world knows what I'm going to do, Mayweather said. 
I'm willing to fight both in the same night. Speaking to the athletic later Thursday, Mayweather said the scuffle was sparked by what he felt was a lack of respect by Paul. He says, I don't want to be disrespected, he said. You can't keep touching me and disrespecting me. But Mayweather also acknowledged that some pre-fight hype never hurts. Hmm. Makes you wonder, huh? Jake Paul wanted some attention, and he got it. And so did I, he said. Meanwhile, Paul, meanwhile, continued to have some fun with it all, posting on Instagram a video of him having gotcha hat tattooed into his lower leg. Mayweather had a 50-0 record with 27 knockouts during a career in which he won world titles in five weight divisions over three decades. Among the opponents he beat were Canelo Alvarez, Manny Pacquiao, and Oscar De La Hoya before he retired in 2015. Though he stopped mixed martial arts fighter Conor McGregor in 2017. In the 26 year old Logan Paul, Mayweather would face a star created on the internet. Followed by more than 20 million on YouTube, Paul began boxing in 2019 with a six round bout against fellow YouTube star KSI, a former high school wrestler. Paul will have a six inch height advantage over Mayweather, but he obviously gives away plenty in ring experience and mastery. Logan Paul is huge on YouTube, and he has a huge following. He's a big guy, strong guy, Mayweather said. It's just fun. It's entertaining. It's all about entertainment, and, of course, when he's on social media, he's entertaining to people all the time. It's uncertain if Mayweather was referring to the news conference altercation as entertaining, too. I just feel inspired, Logan Paul said. I want to beat the stuffing out of him. I really do. This fight means so much to me, to my fans, to my family, to everyone watching who thought they couldn't do something in life. That's the energy I'm going in with. Everyone says this is impossible. Well, it was impossible that I got this fight. The undercard will feature heavyweight Gene Pascal versus Badu Jack and super welterweight Jared Hurd versus Luis Arias, former NFL wide receiver Chad Johnson. Let me see this again. Former NFL wide receiver Chad Johnson will make his boxing debut. The pay-per-view telecast will be on Showtime. So now you can't help but to wonder. How much of that altercation was staged? Because as I said prior to this story, boxing is starving for attention. Right now, about, probably about the only names you probably really know, unless you're really into boxing, is Canelo Alvarez. Right now, who's the heavyweight champion? Who's the middleweight champion? Who's the, felt, who's the featherweight champion? Can someone tell me that? Probably not. 
boxing has lost so much of its luster to where now UFC and MMA has more named commodities than the sport of boxing. And then we have an exhibition with all this hype between Paul and Mayweather. What can boxing do to reclaim its throne? I can tell you what won't happen. Muhammad Ali, Larry Holmes, Mike Tyson, Leon Spinks, George Foreman, they are not walking back through those boxing doors. So boxing has to do a better way of promoting and developing stars. Because as it stands right now, boxing even right now takes a backseat not only to MMA and UFC, almost to some extent, Friday Night SmackDown and Monday Night Raw. You probably know more people on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Ross than you know on the in the boxing card outside of Canelo Alvarez. Speaking of which, Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders successfully weigh in for super middleweight title fight. There was no drama on the scales ahead of Saturday's super middleweight title fight between Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders. Alvarez and Saunders each weighed in under the division's 168-pound limit. Alvarez, the WBA and WBC champion, stepped on the scale at 167.4 pounds. Saunders, the WBO titles, was at 167.8 pounds. Despite the jawing between the camps during fight week, the scenes in front of AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, were relatively calm. Saunders, whose entourage had been responsible for most of the banter, at the hotel, praised Alvarez ahead of the bout. It's going to be a good fight, Saunders said after he weighed in on DAZN. He's a great champion, but to be honest with you, I've come here to take all of his titles and take them by storm. Saunders, 30-0, 14 KOs, was booed heavily by a predominantly pro-Alvarez crowd of at least 3,000. Alvarez, 55, 1-2, 37 KOs, smirked during an exchange with Saunders in their final face-off and maintained that Englishman was successful in getting under his skin. I've been in big fights before, Alvarez said through an interpreter. I have the experience to deal with it. I'm ready for tomorrow. In the other major title fight, light flyweights, Elvin Soto, 18-1 with 12 KOs, and Katsunari Takayama, 32 and 8 with 12 KOs made weight ahead of their clash for the WBO for the WBO belt. Soto weighed 107.8 pounds and Takayama checked in at 107.6 pounds. So there is your boxing news. It's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Sean Vandiver, for being a passenger on the train. Gave you a little bit of boxing news. And this is Mother's Day weekend, so I want to say in departing, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers. And I have to give you my disclaimer because this sometimes this gets out of hand because we do have these single parents, not only just single mothers, but we also have single fathers. And over the last few years, there's been some 
as I would call it, limelight stealing. So it was more prevalent amongst women because when Father's Day come around, they say, I'm the mother and the father. And now we have these single fathers. We do have some of those who might want to try to prop themselves up and take on that same role. Your day is next month. This day is set aside for the mothers. But I also want to say this. Mother's Day is every day. We're just grateful that they pick a day to set aside specifically for the mothers so they can have that day. So I want to say to all the mothers, happy Mother's Day. Enjoy the weekend. You should be pampered. You deserve to be pampered. Sometimes you have to take care of your grandchildren. Sometimes you have to take care of your great-grandchildren, even though that's not your job. But you do it anyway. A lot of times you bend over backwards. And even to the mothers that have gone on before us, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my mother. The scriptures that she quoted, the prayers that she sent up for me. Trust me, I believe I'm still getting by on some of mama's prayers. And mama been in her grave since 2007 of December. So I will never forget my mother. So if your mother's here or if your mother's gone, never forget a mother's love. It's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Until next time, take care of yourself and have a blessed weekend.